Kia ora koutou whanau. welcome back again to another department of conversation, making sweet, sweet love in your ear holes since 2018. Um, look, we were supposed to have a podcast last week, I advertised it on the Facebook page, if you were waiting for Christian Picciolini, uh, he's had some stuff come up and he couldn't talk to us, but he is keen to have a chat, so stick around, he is probably the world's highest profile ex-white supremacist. Um, you see him on places like BBC and ABC News and CNN. Uh, he's going to be having a chat with us about the events of Christchurch. Uh, and we have another conversation today based around the events of Christchurch as well. Um, he's a PhD student from the National Centre for Peace and Conflict Studies. Uh, Kieran Ford came to my attention where the day after the terrorist attack in Christchurch, he wrote a piece for the ODT called New Zealand Response to Violence Must Go Beyond Security. He's a deep thinker. Uh, he'll uh, make you think about blooming your life choices, that's for sure. And this uh, podcast that we've just finished recording, really interesting. Um, enjoy it and think through some of the big stuff he's saying about what New Zealand and we as individuals should be doing in response to these kind of horrific events. He, he was over there in the UK with you and then he yes. came here yeah, yeah, yeah. and sucked you over. Exactly, exactly. We're live. Um, Karen Ford, thank you for joining us. Welcome along. No Good to be here. Now, um, this is our first podcast since the terror attacks and the terror attack. Well, no attacks because there was two mosques in Christchurch. Yeah. Uh, you wrote a very interesting op-ed uh, that was. Did you write it for the ODT or did they just pick up it or was it a blog post that they picked up on? No, I wrote it for the ODT. Okay, yeah. that was in the ODT uh, the day after and since then we've been communicating about certainly coming and having a chat about, gosh, having a chat about this. Whatever this is, it's a pretty massively horrible topic in, in some ways. So yeah. as you know and as people know listening, the Department of Conversation is sort of more conversational rather than interview, but obviously there's a pretty big theme around our connection and conversation which is the Christchurch terror attacks and it's interesting actually I've noticed that the in the media they've started to talk about you know the events of Christchurch and you know what happened in Christchurch I feel really uncomfortable not labeling it what it feels like it is I don't want to lose that word not because I enjoy the word but it was a terror it was terrorism and it's a terrorist attack and I just hope that even a couple of weeks later the media is not sort of starting to already sort of talk about that event you know what I mean for sure, and I think to, to add something to that, I think we need to remember that it was an attack on Muslims as mm. well. Um, and I think that aspect gets lost when they talk about the attacks on Christchurch. Yeah, that's um, interesting. So so the media, do you think the media should keep the, the, the community, the Muslim community at the forefront as well as, remember, it's not just an everyday sort of a event, this was a terrorist attack? For sure, yeah, definitely. Oh. Yeah. So you, uh, you're from the UK? Yeah. We were just talking about that as we came in. You did your Masters at Cambridge? Yes, that's right, yeah. Where they do all the boat races? That's the one, yeah. <laughs> is it Cambridge-Oxford? Is that where they have the big that's, boat That's trains? right, yeah, but yeah. Most I know about that is from the Borat movie. I think Borat was, did does a he, few, Does he go there? Maybe he's not in the, no, 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 I'm wrong, not in the movie, but he does definitely Oh, yeah, do. no, I've seen the clip of him walking down there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and then you've come to New Zealand basically following a supervisor. Yeah, so my supervisor currently, um, he, he taught me at undergrad and we'd kept in touch mm -hmm. and my research interests were very closely aligned to his. Which um, are? Terrorism, counter-terrorism, and in particular, what we call critical approaches to terrorism, which is an, a, a research approach that tries to 
ask deep questions about the way that we frame terrorism, the way that we frame responses to terrorism, uh, that asks questions around states and state use of violence in the context of political violence, that asks uh, what could non-violent approaches be um, to countering terrorism and so on. So when you say ask deep questions, that implies you maybe go, would like to ask questions and go one or two steps further than that initial response. That initial response, which is often either force or security, and so you want to go to the, and then what? Precisely, or indeed to ask the question of whether that approach is helping um, or what, what are the forms of violence that might be being produced through state responses to mm-hmm. terrorism. So, uh, I mean, a classic example in that would, might be like a drone strike, for instance, right? right? That's a very violent approach to, or a violent, violent response to, to violence. So it's important to be able to kind of um, question the, question everything in, in that context. Um, yeah, so, uh, so, yeah, certainly trying to explore what other approaches you could take rather than just a security response. Um, and that in, actually was, was one of the, the main reasons I wanted to write that article in the ODT was to add to, a con- add to the conversation and turn to, because um, I've spent f- quite a few years now looking at Britain's response to terrorism and mm-hmm. extremism and spent a great number of years being um, frustrated and angered at, um, at, at the security response in the UK and the incredibly negative uh, impact has had on uh, particularly Muslim communities in the UK and particularly people of colour um, in terms of uh, r- racial profiling and, and and so on and so forth. Um, so when it came to I, when it came to to the, the the Friday of these attacks, um, I was I was really very nervous because this was evidently a um, some sense of a. Of something new, or opening a different chapter, or it was a, it was a really important um, thing in, in terms of of New Zealand's kind of contemporary story, I suppose. And I was very nervous that they might try and learn from the the, the approaches of the UK or of France or of the US, because um, I think those responses in those countries has been uh, pretty traumatic. Do you think? Uh, I'm thinking about the responses in the US. That's often the time when they maybe point the finger at a minority group, let's say the Muslim community. And this is the reverse, though. This is the Muslim community being attacked. Do you think, did you still have those concerns? Well, there's been, there's been plenty of figures that have still point, pointed the finger at Muslim community. Like the guy in Australia. I, the yeah. thing that I was confused about. Well, Rupert about, Murdoch uh, said something very similar. Oh, did he? Well, yeah. the thing that confused me about that senator in Australia is summarising what he said was because of the extremist Muslim influence allowed into New Zealand. And I was like, even if that has happened somewhere, forget if it has or hasn't, but even if it has, how does an extremist Muslim view lead to a white nationalist Killing a bunch of Muslims. Well, there's, there's no point trying to trying to understand that with the logic. So you're giving you're giving no... me permission to go. I don't fucking get that. I'm leaving that alone. Yeah, yeah, it's, always, it's bollocks, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, because yeah. it made no sense, because I guess what, he, oh yeah, okay, so I was about to say, I guess what he was trying to say, but we're saying, let's just not even give that any credit. No. Nah, yeah, okay. Nah, not <laughs> so, um, you're talking about how perhaps places like France and the UK have done it in the past. So your concerns were what? Your concerns were what would happen? Are you, are you, were you particularly concerned about the Muslim community 
even though it was a attack on the Muslim community or just uh, you know minorities in general? Well, certainly every every counter extremism approach globally has negatively impacted people of color and Muslim communities. Right. So. Yes, certainly, certainly was nervous for, for that. Um, Am I naive? I, Sorry, I'm not going to. This is. I just want to get this out. Am I naive to even think that could never have happened in New Zealand because it was Muslims that were attacked? So how could they be then the subject of of you know um, whatever was going to happen from the government or from groups because they're the victims here? Well, what's what's very clear about um, all of the counterterrorism approaches that New Zealand has been taking so far? in the last, let's say since 9-11, like in the last 20 years, yeah, um, or just under 20 years, uh, they have, and they've admitted this since, uh, since what happened the other Friday, that all of that, all of that focus has been on um, militant Islam, right? or uh, yeah, sort of the same sort of threats that, 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 um, that its partners in Five Eyes and so on are, are focusing on. Um, and so any any ramping up of a security response in, 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 on this is going to ramp up all of that focus. It's going to yeah. it's going to ramp up that kind of impact. So, yeah, I, I think it's 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 important that we're not naive to the fact that um, that that New Zealand is a part of those wider processes. So for people like me, um, who maybe are, I was going to say happy to be naive, not happy to be naive, but who are naive to perhaps what it's like to be in a minority, what it's like to be a person of colour, to be a Muslim community. What do I need to understand? This is a pretty big question. This feels like it should be a wrap-up question. But but yeah, we're here, so let's ask it. What do I need to understand? As I say, it seems incongruent to me that, that the Muslim community would be the target of focus after the attacks than because they were the victims of the attack. What, so I'd like to understand that more. Right. I, I, I need, to, I need yeah. to speak to more Muslims about that probably. For sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not the person so, to yeah, answer that yeah, question totally. really. I, As I ask that question, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, going, yeah. And, and, and just so you know, and just so people out there know, there are several people we have approached to speak, including the Muslim community, but obviously two weeks after the Muslim community are looking after their own and we've invited people to come and join us and to, to, to you know, to educate us, to educate me, yeah. to be a part of these conversations, and perhaps in the next couple of weeks we will hear more from them in, involved with this particular show, what we're yeah. doing. So, so we're going to do that. We want to do That's that. That's good. And I think I think there's certainly been a lot of evidence in the last couple of weeks that that New Zealand more broadly has been uh, ignoring. Call, uh, calls and concerns and um, I mean there's certainly been lots of groups who have put out reports to government warning about the number of hate crimes and attacks and so on in New Zealand so um, I think yeah that there's definitely a, 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 yeah, a hugely important um, process of, of listening and learning reflection that New Zealand needs to do. So it sounds like what you're saying is one of the things is that New Zealand it would seem like the western world has been focused on Islamist extremism mm-hmm. and right-wing extremism has not necessarily been going under the radar, but hasn't been the source of concern for many Western countries. Yes, I think that's absolutely fair. I think if you look at it, it, if you look at the ODT or you look at uh, other kind of news reports in, in New Zealand, what's quite interesting is you see 
you can, you can piece together different isolated incidents. There was um, a couple of neo-Nazis in Dunedin in the Octagon attacked a, a Muslim woman wearing a, wearing a veil. Um, and then that's sort of isolated as, it, as if it's a, a, an exceptional incident that is of, you know, no, no wider concern. So that no one's joining those dots. Um, yeah. um, and, and there's that, I think, an act of ignorance around that. And of course, one of the biggest ironies is certainly in America that I think, Jace, you can probably bring up some of these stats. I think that all of the terrorists, all the deaths by terrorist attacks last year were, have been attributed to right-wing yep. terrorism. Yep. But at the same time, Donald Trump has uh, he's cut all funding for um, counter-extremism programs against right-wing extremism. So here's some numbers that Jason got for us. I mean, if you have a look at just 2017, uh, this is in the US, I guess, right-wing 36, uh, Islamist extremism 7. Islamist extremism, what's that, 16, they're side by side. Oh, total fatalities in the US by category. Yeah, so... so we, meaning the Western world, have either been willfully ignorant mm-hmm. or have been have missed it. Do you think we've been willfully ignorant? Yeah, I think there is willfully willful conscious ignorance in in there, and there was a really it different different people in different ways. I mean, Donald Trump is a great example of a, of one particular type of willful ignorance yeah. in the sense of you know actively cutting a program. Um, and I think there's there's an, at the other end of the spectrum. There's an interesting discussion to be had when. Uh, there's been in in the last week or so, you know, there's been some very interesting uh, pieces in in the media that have challenged the narrative of like this isn't New Zealand when this attack happened. By that, saying actually, categor- categorically, that is New Zealand. Yeah, if there's you look pushback. At, if you look at um, the the history of of settlement in New Zealand, that's an incredibly violent history. If you look at the spate of attacks on Muslims in New Zealand in the last few years, you know, this is New Zealand. So. <laughs> Um, that's been very interesting too. I saw something, and I don't—I can't remember her name. But Jace, if you go to my Facebook page, I posted her video. There was an Australian commentator who was talking about, like, when I say, "Are we being willfully ignorant?" Part of it makes me think, therefore, it's something we don't want to see. Why don't we want to see it? And there was a. Don't go past Bill and Ted. You keep going. Go past my dog in a and a and a tutu. Keep on going. Keep on trucking. Keep on trucking, keep on trucking. Uh, that's it. That's it right there. Um, and this lady here talks about the an Islamist terrorist in America. Just pause it there. Who who killed fifty people in the nightclub, and mm-hmm. the way the newspaper covered it. So when the guy, the absolutely terrorist in Christchurch, did this. This is the headline, Angelic Boy. Oh, look, just, just play a minute of it and you'll get her point. Angelic Boy. Is that really the best descriptor for a man who just opened fire on a mosque? Is there not a more fitting adjective that you could have used? The same paper covered the Orlando nightclub shooting in 2016. This was its front page. ISIS maniac kills 50 in gay club. I want to compare the two for a minute. Same paper, similar crime, similar death toll. One starts with Angelic Boy. The other with ISIS maniac. So if you, if you just fade that down, I mean, you can probably scroll to the end there. And, and one of the conclusions she draws or questions she asks is, you know, if we see ourselves in the terrorist, we're less likely to want to, you know, say that they are a maniac killer, whereas the others, the people of colour or people from Islam, they're obviously just savages. But this was an angelic boy 
who, how did he possibly lose his way? Yeah. And I wonder if we are being willfully ignorant, there's some truth in that. Yeah, and there's implicit bias, uh, explicit bias in terms of the way that different attacks are treated. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the T word gets, uh, you know, people are, are nervous to talk about right-wing terrorism mm. as, um, and, and a very uh, jump the gun and, and talk about right um, Islamic extremism or Islamic terrorism. Um, so you say people are less likely to want to point, use the word terrorism when it's right-wing? Yeah. So yeah, what do we yeah. say? Right-wing extremism. Right-wing yeah, fundamentalism. Or in many cases before the new, you know, on, on, with rolling news coverage, there have been many cases of, of um, white, white supremacists attacking um, or, or shooting or killing or whatever it might have been. And before, before the details have come out, they've described it as, a, as probably an Al-Qaeda attack or something like this, right? right. So, you know, the so as soon as something happens of, that they can attach to a Muslim, yeah. It's an Al Qaeda attack. It's a yeah. ISIS attack. It's a it's a fundamentally Islamic t- terrorist. But that's before the details out. But when it's a a, a rancher from you know Texas yeah. killing twenty yeah. people with a gun, it's yeah. uh, let's just wait and see what the facts show us. Yeah, and also you can um, there are plenty of examples of um, where the responses to those incidents are m- much more likely to be incredibly violent, leading to leading to the deaths of, of the perpetrators mm. in the cases where it, it, it is a person of colour or a Muslim. So um, there are many cases in the US, the US being the, the, uh, with, with its history of um, gun, freedom around uh, gun control and so on, um, where sort of uh, groups of white supremacist militants kind of pa- patriot um, kind of label themselves as sort of patriot uh, um, sort of um, trying to think of the right right word um, group just just groups of white men who are armed yep. marching around uh, and patrolling their own properties and coming face to face with uh, the police and national guard and having having armed standoffs that don't lead to the deaths of perpetrators but lead to ridiculously um, small uh, or ridiculously small um, imprisonment or, 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 or sentencing or whatever. Or, or, um, even, or, or even or even the ability to carry those weapons. I remember um, watching a piece on Fox News with Sean Hannity and um, he was talking about, he, he carries a handgun, um, talking about when the police pull him over, how he gets out of his car and reaches into his thing and he brings out the gun carefully. And the commentator that was watching this was going, if, the, if a, a black man of your same age just put his hand in there, he'd be shot. To even right. be able to have the ability to pull it out and say I'm carrying a gun and putting it down mm-hmm. is a is a privilege that he has that a minority doesn't. Well, I think when it comes to something like Fox News, we need to kind of um, distinguish an idea around willful ignorance, as we were saying, about, <laughs> to, into active white supremacy. Yeah. Um, yeah. We need to we need to distinguish those two. I think. Um, yeah. So yes. So it, it's certainly really important that we. Um, that we all increase our awareness of, of the, of, I guess, the state of play at, at the moment globally, um, and how uh, unjustly imbalanced um, and how unjustly violent life is for some people, and how uh, different it is for others. Um, and yeah, so we yeah we need to really. What take can stop we do? That. What can we do about it? Um, I mean, when you okay, let me just let me take one half step back. When you say so unjustly balanced, are we talking on a global scale? Are we talking about tribes in Africa 
without enough, without clean drinking water? Are we talking about, uh, you know, solo mums living in South Dunedin who are needing support? Are we talking about minorities? Are we talking about Māori imprisonment rates? Or is it all of the above? And if it is all of the above, is that when people start to tune out because it's just too much? Right. Yeah, it's, I mean, these, these, these things are immensely complicated. So um, I think rather, so let's start from here. I think, I think um, from my experience of looking at, at Britain's counter-extremism strategy, um, it's caused a lot, of, a lot more problems and a lot more violence and a lot more um, unjust injustice through its uh, attempt to isolate one particular form of violence from others. So um, it is attempting to um, isolate extremist violence mm-hmm. from other forms of violence in society and is attempting then to um, to tackle that form of violence by itself. So does that mean they need to be able to label it and quantify it to put it into that category? Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's what they're, you know... That, there, you can understand why why they why they're doing this in many ways because it needs to be achievable or measurable or um, it's it's a lot easier to tackle one form of violence and to stigmatize one form of violence than yeah. it is to tackle all violence. Okay. But it's intimately that form of violence is intimately linked to a form of violence that the British state is not comfortable talking about, which is Britain's foreign policy, Britain's colonial legacy, yep. Britain's uh, complicity in drone strikes in enhanced interrogation techniques, torture, um, et cetera, et cetera. So the, yeah, it, 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 you know, you listed all, all, all a whole number of different injustices in New Zealand. And yeah, I think all of those are, are linked like, and, and so it, it does become very complicated. Um, but it also becomes somehow, uh, obvious as well as to the fact that we need to have very difficult questions about how how violent life is mm-hmm. and and how we need to address that. It seems it seems I tried to make it sound simple and just made it sound immensely complicated. Well, it's an interesting thing. I was, I was talking to someone just last night about the violent society we live in, and we were kind of thinking to and fro and thinking about you know uh, the society of yesteryear was more violent. So I kind of want to unpack that with you, if you would, maybe, the the violent society we live in. And, I mean, we were kind of two idiots trying to to talk it out. And I was thinking, you know, I like MMA. I like watching it. I like watching, I like, you know, Conor McGregor. I love rugby sort of thing. It's interesting. I was just watching, I saw a clip of MMA the other night and I turned to my wife and said, I can't believe people still do this. (laughs) Inherent, and then we, we started talking about gladiators and things like that. Well, inherently a violent sport, but a chosen activity as well. Is that part of the violent society we're talking about? Or again, not to throw all these examples out because I don't want to kind of um, hinder the conversation. Or are we talking about, you know, the the, the beating up of someone wearing a, a veil in the octagon? Right. Or is it linear and does it continue on into everything? So when you were speaking, I think the uh, a thought a thought came to my mind, which is I went to the the vigil at the yep. stadium last week, and there was what I felt to be a very clear contradiction in two of the speakers. Okay, um, that I think perhaps starts to sum up some or, or, or offers a way into this conversation, which is um, 
a contradiction between when what some, something that Dave Cole, the, the mayor, said, and then something that the president of the Otago Muslim Association said immediately afterwards. So Dave Cole stands up and <coughs> says, um, Dunedin is safe. And then that's one of the things he said. Um, uh, and then immediately the next speaker comes up and says, um, obviously paraphrasing here, but something along the lines of, um, there is not a Muslim in this stadium who has not been attacked. Wow. So how do those two things operate in the same yeah, yeah, space, yeah. right? So and also to say Dunedin is safe, my first thought would be, Dave, what's your metric for that? You know, how do you how do you measure that? Right. Um, I know since the attack, and maybe we're, that's unfair to use that as a metric, I've read stories in the ODT and, and online about, you know, um, kids not wanting to go to school wearing their headscarves because they don't want to be singled out. You know, Muslim families not leaving their properties for a week and a half because yep. they were fearful. Yep. Um, that doesn't sound very safe for them. No, absolutely not. You know, I mean, not to not to move from one tragedy to another, but, you know, David Bain happened in Dunedin, which was another mass shooting. There was a mass shooting at Aramoana, the last one, actually. So when we say Dunedin is safe, what's the metric for that? Yeah, and then on the other, I guess on the other side of, of things, um, take, uh, I've got the, I've got the, I've, I've used this statistic in my writing and I haven't got it on the top of my head, but it, um, if you look at the number of people who died in 9-11. Mm-hmm. It's about uh, three and a half thousand, three thousand something? Just, uh, yeah, it was 2,992 right. or something like this. And then if you look at... Uh, the amount of people who died um, in uh, as a result of, of gun shootings in in I think even just in New York in the year following like mm. that number is is many times higher than the number so um, when you know when you start listing all the different mass shootings I think on one on one level it's important to acknowledge that that these things are incredibly rare that these things are um, that 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 we we uh, as a society, when we describe something as terrorism, we exceptionalise that as as a, as a form of violence that or that we are very very scared of. Yeah, and we ignore other forms of violence. And to to you know to with name or sort of gun violence in the US. And as a society, we ignore violence against people of colour and, and Muslims. Um, so and there'll be some people who go, oh, don't talk right. I never ignore that violence. But you're saying that trends within society demonstrate that we ignore that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. And in yeah. terms of the, you know, the global investment uh, uh, and the death and the destruction of the war on terror is mm. a really good example of mm. how certain certain deaths are valued more than others. I suppose um, it's such a. Um, I'm interested as well, the, the, the counter, not counter-terrorism, the counter-radicalisation um, efforts. Mm-hmm. And part of your research started off in the UK yeah. with looking at what they do in schools. Yeah. And there's a group in schools, it's like the equivalent of, they, they make the curriculum sort of thing. And they bring up, Jason, can we bring that page up? It's a group called, they, they have to teach by law, is it the British values? What are British values? And the British values, according to this group, Ofsted, that's who it is, are democracy, the rule of law, individual liberty, and mutual respect for and tolerance of those with different faiths and beliefs and for those without faith. 
So that is something that must be taught in schools. That's correct, yeah. As a counter-radicalization tactic. Yeah. yeah. Is, that, is that the reason for it? Or is it just a way, is it, is it smaller than that? And it's just like, because we need you all to get along, kids. No, no, it's, it's precisely that. It, this definition um, or this idea of fundament, what's called fundamental British values, um, right. that first appears in um, what's called the prevent strategy. So that's Britain's counter-extremism strategy. So this is a strategy tied to extremism and terrorism. Yes. So a way that it's getting taught in the schools to help that situation. Yes. Yeah. You, you pull it, so I'm thinking that's what they're trying to do. That's but what I'm, they're trying to do, yes. I'm suspicious yeah, yeah, yeah. that you're going to say that it's not, what is it, how's it going? <laughs> Badly. Okay. Badly. Um, yeah, so these these values emerged in 2011. Right. Um, when for some years the the government had, um, well, well let's, let's take the story back to 2005, which is when... Um, London's transport network was attacked. That by, was the bus bombs? Yeah, there was one uh, one person on a bus seven, and three seven. people. Yes, yeah. yeah, 7th of July, 2005. Yeah. And um, so after, what was, what was I suppose, interesting about, about that for, for the UK when they were started to think about how to respond mm. was that these were four individuals who had grown up in the UK. Right. So rather than um, the attacks in New York in 2001, which were attacks by people who had lived in other countries... Uh, this was from four people who had grown up in in Yorkshire. Were they were they radicalised there, or were they people who had gone off to different places, become radicalised, and come back? Do we know? Um, or I suppose a, a mixture. Um, okay. This idea of radicalisation itself, yep. um, it's important to mention, is incredibly contested okay. as an academic uh, term. There's um, very very little science to uh, prove that it is a thing okay. at all. Um, so it's interesting that, that it's it's a term that that is globally used. As so a, how would you, not not to stop the conversation about seven seven? How would you bring? How would you reference someone who has, let's say, taken on an ideology that's led them to, uh, you know, be involved in a terror attack? What would be a better way to describe it rather than radicalised from an academic point of view? Um, I, I suppose you know, academically speaking, there there. There isn't a oh, okay. a term to 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 use that as a, as an, to say use this instead. Uh, currently, um, I think I think one one problem with the one one problem with the idea of radicalization is that it suggests that an individual goes from being let's say a moderate or a, right. a normal. Um, <laughs> you know, this this kind of idea creates this idea that there is such a thing as normal. Yeah, um, and then encounters some sort of idea or ideology. Okay. Um, and that then makes them want to use violence. Right. Now, what's what's problematic about that, apart from the fact that there is... So they go from the angelic boy yeah. to the mass murderer. Right. That's that's kind of yeah. the, the kind of the logic. And, I mean, th there's enormous problems with this. For, yeah. a, for a start, there's absolutely no science to be able to uh, demonstrate how someone goes along this apparent process. Yeah. But there's, there's a, a massive problem at the end, which is that um that violence is used by moderates right like um tony blair wanted wanted to achieve his political ideology so he used violence to do that in iraq but he wasn't right. radicalized apparently not yeah, no yeah. so so like there's yeah, okay. there's there's real problems with the, with this idea <laughs> of radicalization um, that's a, that's a really interesting thought Okay, let's not, let's, I don't want to hamper the, we're talking about 7-7. Seven, seven, yeah, yeah. And we're talking about the Ofsted these, And these values come from. So, so in 2005, this idea of radicalization emerged as a way of 
Well, I, I would say it emerges a way for the British government to speak about uh, the rise of political violence in mm -hmm. a way that didn't didn't get us to question violence in society as a whole, but got us to think about an ideology. And it pinpointed and spotlighted this idea of ideology as being the key factor. Right. Um, it's important to mention, again, there's no science to prove this. Okay. Um, but what's convenient about focusing on ideology is that it, it, it keeps the spotlight away from foreign policy, uh, fr from the geopolitical sphere more broadly, and instead get, isolates certain ideas as being threatening. So the reason why these values exist is because, well, for two reasons. One is one is because um, if you're going to focus on ideologies, then you're going to need some sort of counter ideology. So these values are sort of, they succinctly, for the British government, they succinctly demonstrate somehow an idea of what, what moderate ideology should be. Um, okay. But bring, bring them back up, Jason, so we can so keep them on. These, these are ideas like democracy and I mean, yep. they're sort of wishy-washy values in the sense of like, I mean, you, like democracy, it's, it's literally just the word democracy. Um, but democracy can be everything from uh, anarcho-syndicalism, right, all the way through to um, a constitutional monarchy. So, like, what, where, you know, where in there are we going to grab? And I guess what you're, sounds like what you're sort of saying as well, and who gets to define it? Yeah. Who gets to decide? I mean, this is, I mean, I don't know how it's referenced in the UK, but this is curriculum. This is a, this is a core curriculum subject. It has to be taught. Yes. That's how you'd call it. It'd be a core curriculum idea. has to be taught. Yes, yeah, so, so, who, who so Ofsted, for yeah. the, so everyone's aware, Ofsted are the, the school inspectors. So they're the, okay. they're the body that go around and, and, and check up to make sure schools are, are doing all the stuff they should be doing. And so one of the things that they end up doing is they, um, they check that the school is promoting these values. And, and, How um, do you promote individual liberty? That seems to be something that's... that's a, yeah, so, so part of my research... I mean, straight away you get, into, you, you get into, say, for example, a minority-held view. Right. Whatever it is. I mean, yeah. I used to do talk back, and when I'd bring up this example, I'd say dog owners are a minority. We're all minorities somewhere. Not to, to try and move away from anyone getting a picture in the head of what I'm talking about, but just yeah. whatever that minority-held view is, their individual liberty, by definition, may impinge on someone else's individual yeah. liberty. Yeah, there's a huge amount of contradiction here. So, like... Um, uh, Let's see if I can say this succinctly, but 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 um, pluralism—the idea that different people can hold on to different thing ideas—is yep. um, like a core value of a democracy. Broadly, I think that's a fairly fairly uh, uncontested thing to say. Um, but this counter extremism strategy is designed to try and get as many people within the moderate ideology as possible. So there's a counter-extremism strategy mm. that is actually trying to put barriers on what is permitted and what is allowed. So they're trying to put on barriers on pluralism, which is a very the very value that they're trying to defend. So there's, 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 there's really, there's some core contradictions mm. and tensions that emerge when, when you're trying to claim what, what moderate is. Um, and, it, and individual liberties, uh, to kind of answer your question, because it is quite interesting, actually. When I, so, so part of my research has been to look at the way that these values are being promoted in schools. Yeah. Um, and rather, so, some schools seem to do it by, um, 
like having a values week. So on Monday, their school assembly, right. they'll, they'll talk about democracy. And on Wednesday, they'll talk about liberty or whatever. Um, and other, other ways that schools do it is they kind of embed it within their other curricula. Um, so let's say through business studies or citizenship or whatever it might be. And, and actually, interestingly, what's, what's interesting about individual liberty is that it is promoted very much through um, actually through the idea of, of the world of work which I think is quite curious. Right. So like um, we, we allow people the opportunity to choose their future. Um, so it's a very, very narrow idea of what mm. liberty might be. Um, and it's all like, yeah, it all seems to be a very sort of neoliberal capitalist idea about work. You, um, you, you I was going to say, you, seem to, you didn't seem to, you blatantly stated that this is not going well. In the UK, no. so on on one level, and perhaps this is the, the overly simplistic politicians around the world, they go: if we can get kids to understand what the rule of law is, individual liberty, mutual respect, and democracy, that yeah. surely can't hurt. That can surely be a positive thing. Right. But you're saying it's not going well. What what's no. going on, and why is it not going well? So, I think this is actually a really good example of where a lot of people have been saying um, in the last couple of weeks that. The Western world needs to needs to ex examine white supremacy mm -hmm. um, and needs to root it out at its core. Um, and white supremacy exists in very very many different ways. Uh, on one end of the spectrum, of course, is is attacks and uh, uh, it, it, examples like like we've had here. Um, but it but it exists across a, a spectrum in, in very different ways, a great number of different ways. And if we look at these values. On one level, they seem like really uncontested. You know, who, who, who could say, you know, yeah, who, who, can say contest, who can contest democracy, right? Yeah. Um, they're actually incredibly white values. Right. Right. They <laughs> yeah. are uh, Eurocentric Enlightenment values. Um, and what's very interesting is the way that these are taught is. To give you and to give you uh, to quote verbatim from one of the resources was it with things like um, Britain has a system of the rule of law. Britain's rule of law has been copied by many countries around the world. So there's a really a really clear example there of of a school that is blindly ignoring Britain's colonial legacy mm -hmm. by just saying countries copy mm. our rule of law. So like there's there's ignorance there. Um, or, or there's uh, there's evidence there of of, of the of the way that, that that this moderate ideology is somehow demonstrating that um, it, it, it's it's it, 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 well let's start that sentence again. I think it's they're, they're clearly white values or they're clearly Eurocentric values, um, and and they're they're promoting this as if as if once everyone agrees with. Once everyone agrees with uh, with these values, then, then then problems will be solved. I was just looking. Jason's just brought up all those wonderful countries that uh, chose without any force at all to right. um, to yeah. copy the laws of of England. <laughs> yeah, I just remember all those stories I've heard in school when Maori first met uh, you know James Cook and how they happily copied his laws. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, you keep saying white. Is that? I mean. England's history, England's past, England's origins as Caucasian people. Is that, I think in, in society, some people see the idea, like the thing about white privilege, they think about white, 
white imposing their views on stuff. Is there a difference between those laws are white or they're just you know um, buried within the origins of England, which was a primarily Caucasian country? So to give to give an example of how this works out in practice, mm-hmm. I think maybe answers that question from a from a sideways angle. Sure. Um which is that um so what what's very, very interesting is that when uh so you got you got these values and what what one way that, that people are um or that the strategy works is that if, if somebody appears not to be fulfilling one of these values, then mm-hmm. that is then a, a, a worry or a concern or a threat. So you so, mean literally there's a little mark can be made and this this person is not... So keep, Let's keep an eye on this one. Yeah, um, a mark can be put, like a black mark on the register, but yep. it, they can be interviewed by police. Really? Um, there's a program called the Channel Intervention Program, which is a, a, a sort of a remedial, somehow a remedial program that people... Like a pre- remedial program for democracy. Precisely. Oh my God. Now, the vast, vast majority of people that get put through this program, yeah. it, you won't be surprised to hear, yeah, you're say. are British Muslims. Yeah. So that's a really clear example of where, the, where these values, clearly there is a racial element to these values. Right. They are, so when I say they're white values, I mean that when a white person in a British school somehow doesn't promote these values, they don't get looked on. They don't get, they don't get noticed. Okay. But when, you, when somebody, a, a person of color okay. in a British school is not promoting these values, that apparently is a threat and a concern. So that's a way in which they, they are racialized. So that's a little bit like, it's a different example, but when there's stats that show within New Zealand, if a, a Pākehā gets convicted of a crime and a Māori gets convicted of the same crime, same kind of background, the Māori will get a more harsher sentence, a more harsher outcome from the courts than the Pākehā. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, All yeah. right, gotcha. Like I'm interested as well, Jace, could you bring up, um, the news article, Karen's news article, because something that you mentioned towards the end of it, um, I'm not going to quote it for you exactly, perhaps I am, or if I can see it, but you talked about, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, um, one of the things we need to do is having effective education within the school, in the school system. Yeah. So if what they're doing in the UK is essentially not effective, yeah. What do we what do we want to see? What would your opinion be like if 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 the minister of education came to you and said, "What do we need to do? What what would you be looking at?" Because I would think that the minister of education, if they are going to look at something, would look to people like the UK at the moment and see yeah. what they're doing. Well, I really hope they don't. Yeah. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I can understand why. But what, okay, so what should we be teaching our kids? So um, I think I think the kind of conversations that that people have been calling for in wider society need to be have need to be being had Such with, as? with children. Um, discussions around violence, contemporary violence and historical violence. Mm-hmm. And the fact that, that their white supremacy um, is a current that runs through history into the present. Um, and so that, that can be tackled in schools. Why, mm. why shouldn't it be tackled in schools? I think m- my, my knowledge of New Zealand's education system is, um, is that's not where my research is, is taking place. But if I look at the look at a British example like it's fascinating how um, how woefully uh, underrepresented uh, elements uh, violent elements of British history are uh, are placed within say <coughs> school textbooks right so um, there'll be uh, 
there'll be a, a chapter in a school history textbook around 9-11 today, mm-hmm. but there won't be about the Amritsar massacre in India, um, where a similar number of people died. Don't fact check me on that. On that specific comparison, but the the the, the point the point still still stands that that um, the, you know, these textbooks are very um, uncomfortable or mm. or are no I'd, I'd say that they're just very much more interested in exploring the violence of others than they are the violence of themselves. Um, I think one of the countries that does that well is Germany. I think Germany looks at their history of World War Two. And I've, I've got a couple of German friends, and part of part of them, are, it feels like sometimes they're a little bit, bitter is the wrong word, but they're a little bit like, God, we went over World War Two again and again and again. But what Germany's doing is they're going, you're not, we're not forgetting this. We're mm-hmm. not forgetting what we've done and where we've been as a country sort of thing. But other Western countries, yeah, you don't talk so much about it. You don't talk about the massacres. You talk about the, it's like the, the victors are the ones who write the history. Yeah. There was a really interesting debate in, and I, I don't know to what extent it, it, it made its way over here, but within the British media recently about Winston Churchill. Um, and, and, um, and the debate was as to, I mean, it, I think at some point he's been voted like the best Britain ever or, you know, one of these sort of relatively... Meaning- Him and Robbie Williams. Oh, yeah. So it's <laughs> like these, these relatively meaningless polls around yeah. like, yeah. Um, and... For some reason, his his history is one that we are no longer allowed to explore or to mention or to highlight in the fact that he was instrumental in inventing the concentration camp or the fact that he you know, he had appalling attitudes. Uh, he was a massive racist and you could see that in his policies. Mm-hmm. And, in the you know, this man had an incredibly violent life and he inflicted an incredible amount of violence. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, in in Britain, we don't explore like the let's say the bombing of Dresden, right? Um, I mean, that's that's a, that's not that long ago when it was okay for Britain to murder civilians, right? So, like, it's yeah, it's it's interesting that it's in, it's interesting that societies and state education systems and the media. Um, are constantly are constantly um, attempting to to um, appropriate what is what is um, what is seen to be an appropriate sphere mm-hmm. of violence that we're allowed to talk about, and then it ignores all the others. Uh, there, there's an element of this that it's tribal, uh, I, and there's been two or three times I've thought I worked as a talkback host on talkback radio for ten years, and I've thought of two specific events that I talked about, and the first one was when you were talking about terrorism. And it was during the period that uh, George W. Bush was in office and mm-hmm. that there was a lot going on in Iraq. Um, and I did a talk back one night where I said, who, what leader, what country, who is causing the most terror on the face of the planet today? Right. And my, my point was, actually, George W. Bush's um, you know, geopolitical current Situation was causing more terror on the face of the planet to build than anybody else. Therefore, does that make George W. Bush a terrorist? And I'd throw out questions and, and got... And another time I remember talking about Hiroshima, 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 and basically talking about, was that the worst war crime ever committed? Because, you know, Geneva Convention talks about civilians and talks about, you know, 
as a no-go area. And both of those things I got massive pushback from. Right. You know, like they were ultimately it was a sad thing that that's happened to those innocent people, but it was a good in the long run. All right, that's and a utilitarian you, argument around like it, they would have. It, it, yes, but if it, it was the other yeah, way, yeah. you know, if it was the other way, then that would be still probably a commemoration Anzac Day type event today. If it was the other side that did it to the allies or to, you know, our mates or those that looked like us, it would yeah. be a very different thought around it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not surprised to hear that, hear that you that you got pushback from that because I think it's it's not an unco- it's not a comfortable thing to think about. But I think it's really important that when we are thinking around speaking around sort of looking at, at terrorism and counterterrorism around the world globally, um, that we need to be um, critical about the ways that we are speaking around certain forms of violence being legitimate and certain forms of being illegitimate. Yeah. Um, well, is, is violence ever legitimate, in your opinion? Well, in my opinion, no. But Never? <laughs> so would you, I mean, what's the name of the department of university? Is it Peace and... The National Centre for Peace and Conflict Studies. Yeah, okay. So, so I, I've, done, um, I've done a few um, conversations before, recorded conversations, and I did one once on war. And on one side of the conversation, I had... Um, pacifists including some of the guys and it might be before your time but they took down the spy base in Waihopai oh, yeah. um, and I know that group of guys the plowshares they're called I had them as part of the conversation cool. and then I had some guys on the other side who were just war guys including a, a guy who fought in um, Afghanistan maybe it was Iraq with the British army mm-hmm. and it always came to that conversation maybe we like to, we like to wrap things up too simply Oh, there's AD. That's AD from the Waihopai 3. Oh, yeah. He's my mate. Yeah. Um, that if the and I guess this is, <laughs> we're kind of stepping away from the original conversation, but that's what we sort of do here, is that if there's never a right time for violence, and I'm not disagreeing with you, I just really want to think this through, you know, the reason that this conversation came up was I used to, I did talk back one night, and there was a really interesting story about this Christian guy who had had a so-called epiphany when he was in uh, Iraq, and he said, "I'm, you know, I, I, I serve a god of peace, and I can't shoot and kill people anymore." Mm-hmm. And so he got an honourable discharge. So I actually ran a six-hour talkback show on can a Christian fight in war when they're kind of commanded right. to thou shalt not kill thy neighbour's goat or whatever the thing is. Um, yeah. And and the thing that happened was half of the people who phoned up and identified themselves as Christians said, "No, of course you can't, because you're supposed to love your neighbour." Yeah. And then half of them phoned up and said, well, of course you can because you're supposed to love your neighbour. And if Australia right. was being invaded, yeah. we'd go and help them. Yeah. And and then there's this 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 impasse yeah. of how do you then move forward? I don't know if yeah. I've asked you a question in there, but I'll just throw it to you and see what you come <laughs> back at me with. Um, I, I, I quite like... Uh, I quite like sidelining that 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 question, um, and and instead throwing throwing forward the idea of asking a sort of a second question, which is like, well, let's also ask like, how useful has violence been? Mm. Um, and I think it is a very legitimate argument to say that violence produces more violence. Yeah, kind of violence it produces a society in which violence is seen as legitimate and so on and so forth so um aside from from moral or ethical arguments um i mean you could argue that the iraq war 
I'm sure you could use just war theory. I think you'd have to be creative, but I'm sure you could use just war theory <laughs> to argue that the Iraq war was a just war. Yeah, um, I think you probably would be too. You could pretty easily use international law to prove that it was a crime against humanity and a war crime. You could, you know, you can, you can, for most cases, you can probably produce, uh, I mean, you can certainly produce an argument that is convincing for a number of people on, on both sides of that question. Mm. So, so I, that's why I quite like sidelining it and saying, well, let's be honest, how useful is violence? Why, why is it that we are not willing as a society to have a conversation around exploring and investing in exploring and research around nonviolent approaches to certain things? I agree. But do you think that the ideology of nonviolence of which I would love to participate. Let's put it this way. I've never been in a fist fight in my life. Right. <laughs> Literally yeah. never. Um, so why don't you just embrace it? No, I do. I do. I'm not saying that. But I guess I think, I take a step back and I think, so therefore, what do we do when not all of society chooses to adhere to that and then when their ideology is pushing on us? And it might be it well, might it might be an instance like when I'm have been physically threatened or something. Right. I'm, and I'm um, just and I'm not trying to be a dick and go. Well, what happens if someone tries to punch yeah, me? What do yeah, I do? Yeah, yeah. I'm actually trying to think about the the reality of the idea and how that would look because I'm I'm actually with you completely. Well, I mean, on the, on the, on this subject, there's been very interesting research that has shown that uh, not only is violence ineffective. When violence is when, when people are being violent towards you, you know, violence doesn't work as a response. But there's been studies that have shown that quite the opposite: that non-violence is more effective against violence than uh, than a violent response. So when we're ta- like taking examples of um, uh, imagine a, a, a sort of a and I, I can't think of a specific example, but of a repressive regime. I'll give you okay. two examples. So, so to help your point, um, there's two or three times that they say Hitler was defeated during his reign. Right. One was by a priest who got into a um, one of the cars going to one of the camps, refused to get out, and they wouldn't send the the cart. Another one was one of the kings, and I, I don't think this is urban myth. Jace, you could look us up. Uh, a local king from Europe who, you know, the, the gay community had to wear a certain colour. He chose to wear the colour. All of the citizens wore, wore the colour. Hitler could do nothing about it. Right. Good examples of resistance, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, unless that's a new yeah. myth, but... I hadn't heard that before. No? Um, yeah, so, so not, not, you know, your, your, your question, your initial question was, was well, uh, how do we, you know, if, if someone's being, you know, if someone else's if someone's being viol- impinges it, it, yeah, on us. Yeah, or if someone is being violent to us. Yeah. Um, well, then studies have shown that nonviolence is a more effective means of resistance than violence in that, in that, in that context. It leads to fewer deaths in the... So, so there are examples of repressive regimes where there's mm. been like a, a, a resistance movement, like, like the, the Arab Spring kind of a resistance yep. movement, right? Um, where those movements are themselves nonviolent, there are f- fewer people die in the uprising um, than, in, than if they were using violence, yep. and, that, and that uprising is more likely to be successful. Do you think it's so, easier to speak in these ideologies en masse? Like I can imagine 10,000 people marching, you know, the, the uh, Martin Luther King, the peaceful movement, the Gandhi, peaceful movement, a lot easier than one dude down the octagon going, no, I'm not going to do anything about this and, and getting king hit sort of thing. Maybe maybe you need to have a society around you, a p- big portion of society to make it happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. I mean, I mean like, I, and, and again, 
I don't like trying to pick, pick out individual single examples. Yeah. yeah but if yeah. the police had it turned out while dude was actually shooting the mosque, seeing that's what we were here, he was actually participating in it, mm-hmm. they would have shot him and killed him and saved some lives. That would have been an act of violence that would have saved some lives. How does that sit within this well, idea? Well, to, to challenge that idea, yep. um, uh, as, I, as I mentioned in this article, Belgium is a really important case to, to look, look at this, which is that... Um, uh, Belgium was attacked in 2015 right. um, in Brussels, or was attacked in Brussels, and its response was to put the military on the streets, right? right? So you go through Brussels Central train station and there was Humvees, you know, as you walk in and everywhere there are soldiers uh, with, with their big guns or wearing camouflage and it's all, it's all you know, it's a, it's, it's a great performance of security. Mm. Um, it didn't stop attacks happening again. Um, and so I think that there is um, there's, there's, there's a great assumption that that, that that scenario that you just put forward is could potentially happen. Yeah. Um, and what is what is important is is you know, when we look at New Zealand's response um, to to these uh, the, the attacks on the mosques in in Christchurch is to is to make sure that we're not making those same mistakes. So don't make the mistake of putting heaps of armed police on the streets. Well, that has happened. Do you think, because is there a middle ground? Has there been an appropriate amount of that without well, it, going overboard? What do you think? I, I, I think um, I, I think certainly the certain <laughs> elements of the middle ground in, in New Zealand in terms of like going um, straight ahead with gun control has been excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let's look at that actually. Let's pause. Because again, back to your article, you talked about the dust settling in your article. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And obviously this dust won't settle for weeks, if not months, if not years. Yeah. But certainly you wrote that article. I was going to ask you as well, it's a little little side note here, but um, we'll, we'll come back to the dust settling. I heard of the shooting when I was at home. I get my messages through to my phone, like there's Herald messages and stuff messages right now. Yeah. And something about an adorable unicorn that must be my daughter sending it to me. Um, and... I saw a shooting in Christchurch and I thought, you know, that's hot, terrible news, but didn't pay too much attention to it. You know, there was stuff about Hagley Park, didn't pay too much attention to it. I don't know, it must have been five o'clock, the news item came down, um, up to 27 dead. And I was like, what the actual fuck? And that was when I kind of went TV, right. computer, iPad, looking around, figuring out what has happened on. For you, what, on the day, how did you find it? What, what was the reaction, especially being in the study that you're at? Did you pick yeah, up on yeah. it quite quickly? Because you wrote that article within hours of it happening, yeah? I did, yes. Yeah. Um, it, was a, yeah it, was, it was a very difficult day. Um, and, yeah, so, I mean, I, I, think, I, I think I found out the story... Um, I think by chance fairly early on in the afternoon mm. um, and as soon as I saw that when it was started describing that it was a shooting at a mosque um, that's that that was I think for me enough of a signal that that um, that this this will be a politically motivated form of violence mm. um, uh, and and yeah it's, it, it certainly is over, over those those couple of hours um, yeah, that that um, this, as the story unfolded, it became very clear that this was a, that this was a, a terrorist attack, and um, yeah, I, I, yeah. So, it, and at that point, there was a 
I suppose, a concern that um, that the res- the response in the media might be might be quite heavily security focused, right? Um, and so, were you you preempted that what might happen based on what you'd seen yeah, in the UK? And stuff? Yes, yeah, exactly. Um, and so, I was, I was keen to I was con- keen to contribute to that. Um, keen to contribute to that discussion um, in order to try and um, yeah I, I suppose I was um, somewhat relieved that that, that 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 security response hasn't come about or, yeah. or rather there are certain things I mentioned such as gun control which were embraced with open arms which is brilliant um, yeah so, so let's go back then we're talking about you write part of the article about the dust settling hasn't settled yet, won't settle for a long time, but you do mention this is within hours of the attack, gun control. Yeah. You've seen the Prime Minister and, you know, people are talking about Jacinda in such a positive light, I think correctly, but also we've got to give credit to, I mean, there's no one who's voted against it. I know that um, Seymour from ACT has kind of said, you know, we should be careful how quickly we move with this, but everyone supported it. Mm -hmm. So now that you've got two weeks on and the dust is more settled than two hours on, how are you feeling about the the response, the, the way that the government in particular has responded to the issue, the, the, the terrorist attack? Um, I suppose my honest answer, I don't, really, I, don't I, I want to say I don't know. Is, yeah. that, is that okay? That's a um, perfectly good answer. Yeah. On, on Think, thinking about what you write yeah. and thinking yeah, yeah, about yeah, no. concerns that take, perhaps take, there's going to be tanks on the road. Yes. Yeah, no, certainly. Um, I, I don't think I was ever, ever, ever particularly concerned about them taking the, the extent of the. Yeah. Um, I, I am, I am nervous about how it it may play within the trajectory of of the debate around the arming of police. Um, okay. Because that uh, it, it wasn't so long ago in that in Christchurch there was a. De- that debate emerged um, because there'd, there had been some uh, some armed incident of some description, I can't remember what it was, um, precisely that had led to the Christchurch police uh, being, everyone being armed for a, a short period of time. And so there was debate emerged inevitably as a response to that policy as to, as to whether police should be armed permanently. Um, and so I think, I think those, con- those concerns remain in the sense of, um, in terms of those wider, wider discussions around trying to create a more non-violent society mm-hmm. and, uh, rather than uh, one thing that can happen through having your police be more armed, having more arms is I mean, being more visibly armed mm-hmm. is a normalisation. I read something. I, I think most of the commentary I've seen that's come out has been pretty against the idea of this leading to the police being armed. Now, I'm yeah. not saying all of it. Maybe I have a, a particular narrative in my feed which shows me those over something else. Right. But, you know, ju- just I think yesterday I was reading, you know, research will show that if your police are armed, your, um, your crims, your people who are trying to get around the law will be uh, more well armed. So if they're yeah, not armed... I think there's, there's certainly a good argument in yeah. in, um in, in terms of that sort of circularity, of, yeah, um, that, yeah, the sort of uh, essentially the same kind of logic as the Cold War arms race, right? The sort of you've got this much, so I've got to have this much. And mm. I think that that yeah, that's that's a, a legitimate argument. I think in this case, um, I think I mean on that point, I think New Zealand, like the UK, has um, it's a very different 
um, the, 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 the conversation and the talk is a very, very different, um, it's in a different space here than it is in other parts of Europe and, and in the US in terms of... Why do you think that is? Why do you think we're different, talking um, about it differently here? I, I don't know about the New Zealand case, but the, the British case is uh, historically um, the, the role of the police has always been different to, um, to an, uh, say, like, the, I'm trying to think about this, I haven't thought about this for a while, but um, the origins of the police force in Britain is very, very different to the gendarmerie in France, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, when Robert Peel started the police um, the, in the UK, it was always an idea that they would be um, citizens in uniform, Rather right. than like a, rather than like a domestic uh, army, and that 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 distinction was very very clear from so the start. So a local a local member of the community yeah. who's tasked with that job precisely, and and that that kind of underlying uh, understanding as to what the role of the police should be has has to some extent remained. Now at the same time, Britain is also following um, the U.S.'s response in the militarization of its armed offenders mm-hmm. uh, squads. And so you have uh, the similar kind of like the SWAT team tactics, right? Um, so at, on one level, you've got this legacy of not having your regular police being armed. And then on the same same scale, you've got um, the uh, over-militarization of the armed, armed uh, I don't think right, it's like armed response units or, mm. you know, I can't remember the right, right phrase. So Armed offenders squad, a- AOS in New Zealand, armed offenders that, squad. That, yeah. That's what it is here, is it? Um, so... I think yeah, I think it's 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 a, when we mention that it's important to to mention that too. And, and yeah, just looking at this pictures of the armed defender squad on the screen here, like um, it's it's hard to see how that is anything other than a um, than, than a member of of a, of a military unit, right? So, mm. and certainly it's terrifying in the U.S. the way that um, local police forces in the U.S. have access to um, knockoffs from the. I wonder. If, I wonder if part of it maybe this is not for the U.K. Maybe this is more for. Um, the US is our attitudes towards just guns in general. Thanks, bro. Um, I read one of those farmers who has uh, chosen to give up his guns, mm-hmm. and he said very clearly, like I, I, I connect. I have a lot of kind of American contacts or people I connect with in America and talk with and chat with online and you know that sort of thing. And one of the differences we don't arm ourselves for protection. And it was said yeah. beautifully by a farmer. It's for pests and stock control. That's why he has guns. Right. So him giving up his yeah. semi-automatic weapon doesn't mean anything. Whereas Americans, um, they buy weapons to protect themselves. It's it's their reason for having guns. Yeah. And because we but, uh, don't have the same relationship with guns, I, I wonder if that's got any reason towards why we're doing it differently to some others. I, f- I feel like there's a there's another reason which you haven't mentioned that I think exists in New Zealand and exists in the US and oh. exists around the world, which is the idea of guns for entertainment. Yeah, okay. Um, so, I mean, you've mentioned pest control, you've mentioned protection. Um, I think it's very, <laughs> there's definitely a very good argument to suggest that um, the kind of weapons that have been banned now in New Zealand and the kind of guns that are being used in mass shootings in the US like are, are rubbish at both of those things, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, gun experts mention how how bad they, like, how bad these semi-automatic rifles are in the context of, like, an intruder in your home, right? Yeah. Um, and, and, yeah, let's, I mean, it'd be laughable to think about trying to talk about possums with a semi-automatic rifle, right? Like, so... 
Yeah, well, I, think, the, I think there's the, an un- uncomfortable discussion, yeah, I think. The farmer that was giving up his gun said, he, he bought them about 15 years ago, and he said, you know, if there was a, a, a group of five goats, he might be able to drop three of them and before they ran away. Um, but yeah, I hear what you're saying about entertainment. Right. I mean, if I'm going skeet shooting, I'm using a shotgun. If yeah. I'm going duck shooting, I'm using a shotgun. If I'm, I'm yeah, so I think as well, yeah, it just, I think that they're unnecessary. And it's been interesting watching the American reaction, actually. Um, you know, you'll probably roll your eyes, but I follow everyone and I read everything. And for some reason, my algorithm has been picking up freaking Glenn Beck a lot in the last oh, wee while. Oh, yeah, I, know, I don't know why. Um, but basically, stories about New Zealand, people giving up their guns and the, and the you know, the, the one word kind of post is like, unbelievable. You know, and it's just like they don't get it. They don't get that we don't have guns to protect us. And they don't get that the farmer that's giving up his gun has a shotgun and has a lever action as well. It's it's just, it's what they do. Yeah, and I think it, the, yes, it, I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not a gun control expert um, by any stretch of the imagination, but I think there are a number of, a number of, of, of very interesting factors as to why, why people uh, don't want to give these things up. And in, yeah. in America, it's tied into... Uh, very sort of Americanized cultural understandings of of liberty and and so on, um, uh, and it's it's I find it bemusing that 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 people don't understand also that um, in having in having a weapon in their own house they are endangering their own lives in the sense of um, how many people get killed and hurt by their own guns by mistakes or someone they love. picking it up and yeah. yeah all this sort of stuff so. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. So um, I'm very relieved to to hear about the 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 gun control aspect. If you to were to if you were to um, like gun control as a as a positive, you're saying if you mm-hmm. wanted to see what else, like if you could ask for another another um, initiative to come, another um, something to be rolled out by the government. What else would you like to see to help the situation that we're talking about, especially around? You know, uh, safety, security, non-violence. Is there anything else from this hmm. that needs to come out of it? Um, I think, I think that the the response needs to be the much bigger conversation than one around security. And so, so we're talking about the next question like we like we started with. Yeah, yeah, we're talking about anti-racism education, we're talking yep. about acknowledging the Islamophobia across New Zealand society. It's about talking about the uh, the violent roots of New Zealand's uh, colonial history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all of those sorts of things. Um, as for a I mean the one thing we haven't mentioned of course is that there's a there's going to be a royal commission yep. into this um, and it's already the biggest police investigation the country has ever seen right for sure um, and and a, a, another topic we haven't talked about is it's very interesting uh, response to the manifesto of this this guy right um, which is now a crime to own yes it's it's labeled it's labeled, uh, it's labeled I can't remember the, the right the right phrase. Um, Have you seen the manifesto? Uh, interesting. Someone from our department on the on the day of the that it was taking place on the Friday afternoon yep. um, had uh, emailed around um, some quotations from it. So right. I'm aware of some of the, through that. I'm aware of some of the content. And what's very interesting is that this this particular document has been banned, or it's been it's been labelled. Um, uh, I can't remember the right the right word, but it's it's been sort of. 
um, what is it? Here we go. It's objectionable. That's the word. Yes. Um, and what, what's very interesting. So, so this, I think, is a. I can see what I can see why the government has done it. I, um, what I find very interesting about what I have seen from from the manifesto is, aside aside from its um, its belief that a m- massive moment of violence uh, will somehow catalyze what they want. Mm. Aside from that, the what's fascinating is how. Uh, how normalized a lot of the ideas and um, political ideas uh, are within it. So ideas around a sense that, I mean, a narrative that we hear all the time around the idea that um, migration is somehow a threat to certain populations Um, or the idea that, yeah, um, I don't know, I think it's anyone springs to mind Im- immediately, but 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 I mean that that kind of idea is so widely disseminated across media platforms. You talk in your article, and also you mentioned it here a couple of times about Islamophobia. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of Islamophobia. How do we how do we teach? How do we educate? I, I guess I also kind of want to know what does it mean? What is Islamophobia? Um, I think that, in my opinion, for example, the word racism gets used in times now that may not be. What, a, what would be the technical definition of racism, but we've sort of moved a bit and redefined it. So what would you, how would you define Islamophobia? Um, I think it's, I think it's a hard, it's a hard question. Um, uh, and, and I think that it's really important that we all, um, It's a question I've I've been sitting and thinking about, and okay. trying to learn learn um, in the in the in, in the last in the last couple of weeks. Um, I think Islamophobia exists when, it, 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 in in uh, <laughs> trying to think of a good example of a a way that Islamophobia exists in society that is less objectionable should mm. we say than um because because then then like the, the attacks because i think it's a it's a tricky word because uh it it can exist in in all walks of life and it exists in very many different ways from um well, well let, let, let's. Let, I think. Let's. So, sorry, this isn't, isn't a particularly succinct answer. Um, we don't have to do succinct. That's the relief. Um, <laughs> white supremacy. Yeah. Let's start there. White supremacy, in in my mind, is the belief that um, the the belief in the superiority of the white race, white people, uh, of, of white people or yep. white ideas. Yep. Okay. Um, so that's that. I, I agree. That's a very clear definition of what white supremacy. So, the word so supremacy think, in itself. Yeah, and and so that that can exist in very many different ways. Yep. It can exist in an idea that certain places around the world should be for white people only. Yeah. It can exist also in a sense that while while this place in the world can be for a number of different people, mm-hmm. everyone must ascribe to a certain set of values that themselves are Eurocentric or have that, that kind of history. So, so here's a good, a good question, got a question. Um, so if, if let's say a country is uh, dominated by Caucasians, uh, let's say that a lot of the laws are made uh, in favour of, like you are talking before about, um, like, like the um, 
uh, you know, the penal system in New Zealand. It, it's it's mm-hmm. weighted to be more favourable to Europeans than anybody else. Is it white supremacy if through institutional racism, and I think for me, institutional racism, sometimes the people involved with that aren't actually aware of their actions because it's institutionalised. Yep. Yep. It's a part of how we do things, yep. so to speak. Do You're you, asking would is that, is would that, you, that well, I was going to say, if, if someone's coming up through that and they've operated through that and they're making, say, laws through that, but they are, within that there is an inherent bias towards the white Caucasian race, mm-hmm. would you, in your opinion, define that as white supremacy or do you yes. need to be actively involved in no. that? No. Okay, wow. So even so, you're saying there is unwitting white supremacists? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a it's a term that's that's used to label yep. those that are the the most archetypal example of it. Um, and one of the reasons why it's it's a label that's pushed to to only label those on the extremes mm-hmm. is because it, it it no one wants to acknowledge the white supremacy of the moderate. So like, let's take, like, take the word extreme, right? Yep. So extremism is, now governments try to label extremism as utterly exceptional and very, very different to a, a, an idea- On the edges. That is right on the, the edges, edges, that is completely different. Way out. But also like, if you're gonna call something an extreme, it has to be an extreme form of a moderate thing. Yep. So there's something that ties that moderate to that extreme. Yep. And so what I think is a really important question we need to ask as a society is, what is it that, tie, that is tying uh, the attitudes of the moderate to the attacks in Christchurch? Right. And that says to me, it's sort of like concentric circles. There's, there's the, uh, let's say, the, 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 the Nazi, the active white supremacist, yeah. who's skinhead Heil Hitler in the centre. Yeah. But then there's a group around that who are, and, and you go further and further out, there's a, even though they're concentric circles around that same idea, yeah. they're getting more and more, let's say, liberal as they go yeah. out, but they are, there is a connecting line. Yeah, so there's links between institutional racism and, and violent white supremacy. There's links to uh, immigration policy, there's links to his, you know, school history textbooks. Yeah, the, there's 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 the same the same idea is is tracing through that. Um, so if we can define, it seems fairly easily white supremacy. Yeah. Why are we struggling to define Islamophobia? I was I was, I was struggling to define Islamophobia earlier. I think. Yeah, 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 that's I what I'm saying. I was trying to trying to think of like a dictionary definition. Um, well, I mean, to me, Islamophobia, phobia is fear. Yeah. Fear of Islam. So, so the reason why I wanted to wanted to come to Islamophobia from the point of looking at white supremacy is white supremacy is that is the belief in the superiority of the the white idea or yep. the white white person. Yep. Um, so Islamophobia then is a manifestation of white supremacy in the context of Islam. Does that make sense? Manifestation of white supremacy in the context of Islam. Yep. Yeah. So it's that sense of. Um, let's uh, give gives different examples. Like in France, France currently through its leg- through its legacy of secularism, currently has a um, some for some some reason the, the the French government, even though liberty is a, is a core French value, um, feels like it, it can it can decide what uh, what French women should wear. Yep. Uh, it seems to have laws. Of, you know, um, is it, I can't remember, I can't remember who. Uh, who who was it? Now I'm trying to think. Who 
said that it is as oppressive to uh, it is as oppressive to demand women to wear less as it is oppressive to demand them to wear more. So, that so you're idea, talking about banning the burqa and that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, as, yeah, as, and, and the idea of um, on the other end of the scale, getting uh, asking people to, to to wear more, like cover cover up, right? Yeah. So you got, you got those those two things happening in the same society. Um, so that's a, I think it's a really good example of 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 one form of Islamophobia. You got another form of Islamophobia when um, well, you have, although you have tied that form to white supremacy. I mean, obviously, yeah, yeah, you yeah, don't yeah. have to be white to be an Islamophobe. No. Yeah. No, no, no. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, perhaps, perhaps they're. Yeah. So um, anyone could be Islamophobic, no matter what race, creed, religion, colour. Could they? I mean, I'm sorry, I should yeah, ask yeah, this yeah, question. Yeah, yeah. No, as far as my yeah. Um, yeah. As far as my understanding goes. The interesting, I, I, the, I don't have to go back to my talkback roots. Um, the interesting thing about the um, about the banning of the burqa and stuff, to me, it always seemed a fairly. <laughs> easy solution it's like if if you need to have your face uncovered for example in a bank or for a in a courtroom or for a uh, a photo id then you, you got there's no way around that but other than that you can cover your face i mean i i was riding right. a scooter those days yeah, yeah i had my face covered every time you know I'd, I'd walk into the dairy because i don't want to take all my gear off yeah and, and yeah, i yeah. do it and, and, then, or, or and then there's just a simple choice. If you, don't, if you don't want to be identified in a place that's secure, then you, you just don't enter that. Just like I couldn't enter that with my, my bike helmet on. Yeah, it just yeah, seems yeah. like a simple... Yeah, like, I can see that perspective. I think, I mean, certainly in that... <laughs> that was very polite. <laughs> I can see that perspective, you dick. Yeah, like it's... So that, that example from, uh, I think it was a beach in Cannes in, in, in France. And... You'd see people uh, surfing, yep. wearing wearing a uh, like a, a hood, I suppose, right? Like a neoprene, like a, like a wetsuit, a burkini. Um, well, well, no, it wasn't. Oh it, no, it was it, just someone. I just mean someone surfing. Oh right, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Got yeah, because um, it's a cold day. Cause, yeah, yeah, it's yeah cold gotcha. Day. And apparently that's acceptable. Um, yeah, there's a there's a great picture of yep. uh, on the screen there. That's, yeah, and that's where the ludicrous things about coming and banning things out. Because that was one of the things I yeah. said. Like I'm, I ride a motorbike. Yeah. Do I now have to have a faceless motor motorbike helmet yeah. because it was ridiculous? And and, and there's a um, it was a really good video uh, that someone posted on on Facebook uh, about a week ago, and it was a a some some old footage of. Uh, it's about 1913, I think, something like that in the UK, and uh, everyone was um, uh, it was just people walking through a street, and it was really very interesting that at that moment in time, um, it was the fashion that women would wear shawls, um, and someone posted and they just asked, asked the question of, of of how is this you know how is this any different to so the shawl uh, would be over the head, yeah yeah yeah. Oh. yeah, yeah. So like it was, it was yeah, and I think it's that that um, that kind of thing is is uh, important to recognise in the sense of like when it comes to that language around um, Western values, mm -hmm. like we're uh, ascribing some sort of universal Western value to um, contemporary to something contemporary, whereas like it, you know it wasn't that was different it was different 100 years ago so how can, <laughs> well, and, how can you, you make know, that claim and, yeah. and in the west primarily a Christian kind of thing you, women were supposed to cover their heads it was a part of the part of their belief system that's been yeah. been around for a, two millennia cover your heads etc etc 
Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Hey, um, I feel like I don't even know what time it is. Time normally flies. This is a bit of a time. It's 20 past six. We're going for nearly an hour and a half. So I don't want to hold you forever. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I could. We could keep talking. Um, it would... I was just wondering a place to finish on. Because obviously we're talking today because of a pretty horrific terrorist event uh, that has ongoing repercussions, not just for New Zealand, but for the world. Um, I'm not an academic and I'm not as intrinsically daily involved in this kind of stuff as you. I look to how we as a country are responding at the moment and I feel quite proud. I think that this, this group of society that has been attacked such a small group. I mean, I, I, I walked into a, a, a fruit and veggie shop the other day and a, a girl worked in behind me and she had a, a head covering on. I just wanted to go, oh, it's so good to have you here with us. It's, you know, just to be a part of us. And, and I, I think it feels trite to say, what good can come from this? Because, you know, 50 people have died and no one's actually said this, but I, I wonder if more will because there's still a, a dozen or so in intensive care. Um, but I'm just wondering what to leave our conversation with. I'm wondering what to go out on. Is there anything or is there nothing that can be said and we should just go and get Reburger and... I think, so my response to that would be to kind of reflect on my my two weeks, is it now? Um, and I, I know in saying this is a certain irony in, the spent, in, in that we've, we've been talking for the last hour and a, hour and a half or whatever it might be. Um, but since since having written that article mm-hmm. um i one of the things i i realized that i needed to do was to uh was to stop talking and and to listen uh and yeah so so obviously there's an irony in in, in saying that having to, having to spend time talking today but i think um that particularly people who are not people who experience uh, violence every day or don't experience um, insecurity need need to stop and listen and to do and and, and there I'm speaking of uh, Pakeha and I'm thinking also of men um, we need to listen and we need to reflect uh, and we need to ask very difficult questions um and so while i think these things can be very difficult and while sometimes it seems like answers are impossibly difficult um actually i i think one of the reasons we think that they're impossibly difficult is because we haven't done enough listening um yeah i guess that's my my, my so i have a favor to ask you and this is going to put you on the spot, and you can say, I'll think about it, or you can say, no, nah, rack off, or whatever. If we need to ask ourselves some hard questions, yeah. which is what you've just said, how would you feel about doing another op-ed where you pitch to those of us who now need to think and ask ourselves some questions, what some of those questions could be? And I know it might be different for every person, but it seems to me that if we can then supply... And, and if you wanted, we'll put it up on the thing, or if you've got a blog, we can promote it for you. I think that what some of us, and I'll put my hand up, need is maybe a hand to start some of those conversations as well. Maybe uh, it would be interesting to hear a perspective which are 
let's start with these questions. Let's ask yeah. ourselves these questions. I think I, th I think the the difficult irony is that people have been offering that for some time, mm. and we haven't been listening. So rather than I suggest, why don't I write something? Mm. Well, I think I think it's it's already been written, and we haven't listened, and we haven't read it. Um, yeah. Thanks for coming on. No worries. I know it's been a bit heavy. I mean, for obvious reasons, but I think it's really important, and it's I've really enjoyed the chat, Kieran Ford. Thanks, thanks. Thank you, sir. So some good words to wrap up there with uh, Kieran Ford about listening, I guess. And as he said, it's like irony that we just chinwagged for 90 minutes, but there you go. Kieran Ford. Now, um, we are back again tomorrow, so you probably won't get this tomorrow because it literally is tomorrow, but the next podcast we're doing is with comedian Ben Hurley. You'll know him from TV3 Seven Days. If you're a cricket fan, he often tours with the Black Caps he did last season at least and becomes the ground announcer for all their fun activities. It is Ben Hurley coming up next here in the Department of Conversation. Uh, lots coming up in the forthcoming weeks and months as well. Check us out on Facebook if you want to stay up to date with what's happening and of course you can listen to us on Spotify, Stitcher or iTunes and until we see you tomorrow with Ben Hurley Hey Roo.